Well, good morning. My name is Rob Perry. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. I'm glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Well, my form of exercise comes in running. That's what I do. And I have to do it very early in the morning. Otherwise, I am going to come up with every excuse that I can not to do it later on. So I end up uh, running early in the morning. And I live in a neighborhood that has lots of families. And so wherever I go, I see bus stops with kids hanging around. And it, like my mind immediately drifts back to when I was a kid and my bus stop was right in front of my house, and, um, which was good for teenagers. If you have teenagers, a little extra sleep is always the best. But I would get out there and the kids, we would always be playing, whether it was kick the can or we'd play football actually tackle football on pavement, um, but the, it looked different. As I'm, as I'm running by the bus stops of today, there's a strikingly different image. I see the kids huddled together, but they're not talking to one another. I see this kind of pose. Now, kids, hang with me. Everybody's like this. Now, some of you are going... Oh, yeah. Preach it to the younger generation, right? <laughs> That's why it's empty. They're, they found out I was going to talk about it. We are adults are no different. We cannot be preaching to the younger generation because we're doing it ourselves. I was at Hilton Head over Christmas for an extended weekend. Beautiful place. And we went shopping and for me, that takes like five minutes. And so I found a courtyard at the outlet mall there, beautiful courtyard, three or four benches, and I'm sitting there with three or four other people. And was I talking to those folks? Were they talking to me to just, you know, hey, nice weather. Isn't this a beautiful place? No. We were striking the same pose. It's a modified pose. I call it the thinker with an iPhone. All of us were like this. We are more connected today than we have been ever before. In 1995, 1% of the world's population was connected. Now it's over 40% of the world is connected to the internet. Yet we are very disconnected from one another. Our modern life conveniences are making us more lonely. Uh, Shirley Turkle, she's a MIT a sociologist, she did a TED Talk where she talked about this very concept of alone together. And she said, we expect more from technology than we do from one another. And she goes on to say this, I think we are setting ourselves up for trouble. We're getting used to a new way of being alone together. People want to be with each other, but also elsewhere. She was talking about being in a meeting, but yet you want to text people and be in Instagram and be in all these other places. People want to customize their lives. And some people think that's a good thing, but you end up hiding from each other. And there are other studies that are looking at this alone together. There's one from right up the street, Duke University and the University of Arizona did a joint study and what they found is one out of four Americans has nobody that they can turn to to talk about their triumphs in life 
or their sorrows. One out of four. But if you take out family out of that, the number doubles. One out of two people has nobody that they can go to and share their confidences with. Think about your relational circles. Who do you have that will come around you, that will encourage you, that will challenge you, that will help you grow in your faith and love Jesus more? You and I need better relationships. We need people around us that we can have fun with, people that we can feel safe with, and people that are going to help us grow personally and spiritually. We need better relationships. And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we end our series called Better. We're going to look at relationships. We chose this time of year, the new year, to look at um, things to do better. Because it's the one time of year that it's a fact. People want to look at areas of their life and get better at those. So we chose the new year and started the Better series. Over the past four weeks, we've looked at getting better financially. We looked at getting better spiritually. We've got, looked at getting better in our um, generosity, our future. And today, it's going to be about getting better relationally. So let's get started. I'm going to ask that the ushers come down. They have Bibles in their hands. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to have one. Just signal to the usher. It is yours to keep if you don't have a Bible, or if you just need to borrow it, you can hold it for the service and just put it in the table in the back on your way out. You see, God knows exactly what we need in our relationships in order to feel fulfilled. He also knows what's needed in order to grow spiritually. We don't have to just leave it to chance and just hope things will get better. The line that we have said throughout this whole series that life does not get, or get better by chance, it gets better by change, actually holds true here in relationships as well. There are things that you and I can do now that we can be intentional with that will help move our relationships in a better direction. And it may involve some change in your relational circles, but it may also mean that you change some expectations on your relationships. And at the end of our 30 minutes, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to challenge you to act based on your answer to that question. And I need you to be honest with yourself. I need you to trust God that he knows what he's talking about with relationships. And then I want you to act. And I can promise you that you will see improvement in your relational life as well as your spiritual growth. And so let's turn to Scripture and look at that today. Because when you look at Scripture, you kind of see our very situation. You see people separated and alone, trying to go at it alone, yet you see a loving God who starts pursuing us and trying to redeem us, take us out of isolation, and draw us back into community with him and community with others the way that it was intended. So here's a principle, the first principle I want to look at today. It's actually a verse. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We know iron sharpens iron. If you've ever taken a dull knife 
or a blunt lawnmower blade and put it on sharpening steel, it shapes things. It makes it better. It sharpens it. We, are to get, we get better with having people around us. That's the way it is. Some of you are going, oh, no. I know people who prove that principle wrong, <laughs> right? Some of you are like, no, I'm tuning out. That's a whole nother proverb, right? 1320, Proverbs 1320 down. That's another message. That's another proverb. What I'm talking about is people who have a good influence on you. And you don't even need to believe in God to believe this verse. Because you know from your own experience and what you've seen that people's actions, their words, their challenges to you have made you a better person. They have had a positive influence on you. That friends who bring their ideas and their actions together can help one another become sharper. You don't even have to believe in God to actually believe the truth of that principle, of that verse. People need people. You cannot sharpen yourself alone. You cannot fight pride alone. You and I already think, if we're battling with pride, we already think we have the best idea and we have the right angle on things. You need others to help you see differently. You cannot laugh alone. You can People are going to look at you weird, right? You don't get the joy of laughing with somebody else. You cannot be held accountable alone. Defeats the whole purpose. Circumvents growth that you, you learn through the accountability. You can't answer questions alone. You're going to get the same answer. You need the truth and the perspective from other people. Real friends help a person get better. They are the edge on our life. They sharpen us emotionally and spiritually. And so here's the bottom line for today that I kind of want to build a case for the rest of the morning, and it's this. God uses people to transform people. I said God uses people to transform people, not irritate people. I was talking to somebody about the talk, and they said, you mean irritate? And I said, no, no, transform people to make us better. We need people around us and that they would draw us to God in the process. Yet this does not come naturally to us at all. We live in a culture that promotes individualism and don't depend on anyone. There's another study that went on by a Harvard professor named Robert Waldinger. He is the director of the longest-running study on adult life. It's gone on for 75 years. It has 724 participants in the study. And what they set out to do is to understand what really makes a person healthy and have said, I lived a good life, a healthy, good life. Now, studies like this tend not to exist because either participants drop off, the funding dries up, the researchers get bored, or they die. But this study's gone on. As of November, there were 60 men and their wives still in this study. And so what lessons have they learned? Well, after thousands and thousands of pages of information, the lessons 
they learn aren't about health and happiness being achieved through fame or through working harder or through wealth or through knowing more things. Waldinger says this, the clearest message from the 75-year study is this, good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. He goes on to say, community matters and loneliness kills. There's been independent studies that actually show that a disconnected, isolated life will shorten your lifespan. That if you are connected in a healthy environment, good relationships, you will increase your lifespan. Relationships matter. So here's a little tip. Since we're talking about relationships, don't fall asleep during today's message. Right? If you want to live longer, stay awake. I'm watching you. <laughs> Community matters. Relationship matters. It's like saying air is important to the lungs. Well, for our soul, community provides something that nothing else can provide. And if you're like me, you're like, great, because I have a lot of relationships. I have relationships here at work. I have relationships at home. I have relationships with my neighbors. I have relationships with people that I exercise with, people that I love to talk theology with, people that I like to do technology with. I've got plenty of relationships. And you probably do too. You're thinking, I've got work. I've got this hobby. I've got my sports and exercises. I've got a lot of relationships. And it's in those relationships. People do know us. We know them. And we need these relationships. So please hear that. We need these relationships. Yet we can be in these relationships, be in a crowd, and still be alone. The second biggest thing they learned from this study was that it wasn't about the quantity of your relationships. It was about the quality of those relationships, the closeness of those relationships. And this is where I think there is something different about Christian community where you are around other Christ followers that I think something can happen there that doesn't happen in our other areas of community. And Jesus held up a picture one day of what he had in mind for people in the community of faith how it would be for men and women and children to live out their faith, fully living out their purpose with one another. And on this day, Jesus, in two statements, summed up all of Scripture with these two statements. And we ought to make this our life verse. Look on the screen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbors as yourself. There's two dimensions to this prescription for life. There's the vertical dimension about loving God. And then you've got the horizontal dimension of loving one another. And that we need to get the vertical dimension right in order to live out our relationships with one another right. And so I want to spend a few minutes where we can look at this and think about our own relationship circles and where, where they are and where we are. And so I've got a graphic. If you will throw up the graphic, um, as you see, you've got the loving God and then at the bottom, indifferent 
to God, and over to the left, loving others, but indifferent to others. Quadrant four is a very lonely place to live because it's here where you're indifferent to God, you're indifferent to people, you are self-absorbed, everything's about you, and this is a very dark and a very lonely place, a place you do not want to hang out in. Quadrant three is a place where we probably have a lot of relationships. This isn't a place where people haven't um, fully accepted Christ or they don't really have a relationship with God, but yet they care for others. We need relationships here. A lot of us probably have relationships with our, with our work. There may be some people that are in this quadrant, sports teams, hobbies, Quadrant three. Quadrant two. This is a person who loves God, but for some reason doesn't care for others. Whether it's fear in moving close to somebody or it's spiritual maturity, it's to them it's God and me. But you understand, as a Christ follower, as Christianity is about God in relationship with God and with his people. You don't get God alone. When you get God, you get his people as well. And so quadrant two isn't where we are supposed to be rooting ourselves in either. The sweet spot for Christ followers is quadrant one. This is where we, Jesus is saying, you are to root yourself here. It doesn't mean that you don't have Christian friends. Of course, you need to have friends outside the circle. How else would you tell them about Jesus? But this is where you are to be rooted because it's here that your commonality is God. In quadrant three, your commonality is something that's external. It may be your job. It may be the sports or the hobby. They're good. Again, it's not bad. But in quadrant one, it, what you're rooting yourself in is the love of God. God is at the center. And quadrant one is where you have the joy of belonging the delight of being known and knowing others, where you can feel safe and you can have fun, a place where God intended you to live. So with that, this ought to help us understand that we need to give some thought to our relational circles, who we spend our, a lot of time with, because this is true for me as it's true for you. If we are not intentional we tend to drift towards where we get the most acceptance or where we are, have some things in common with folks. We will just drift there. We have to be intentional about looking for to have quadrant one kind of people around us. That's, it's that important. Otherwise, you run the risk of being pushed in a direction <laughs> that you never wanted to go in. Relationships in quadrant one, they help us move toward God and lean toward God. This is the difference with Christian community. It's a distinct difference. Jesus took the disciples and, and taught them that, modeled that to them, and then they went out and taught the early church that. And Paul, he talked to the Christ followers in Ephesus and after telling them in this letter, he said, listen, God has brought Jew and Gentile, non-Jew, together into a relationship through Christ. 
And here is your purpose. And he says this. Instead, if, if you read instead, what he's saying is instead of going with what culture teaches you or what the culture is telling you to do, instead of doing that, we, quadrant one relationships, we, Christ followers, body of Christ, we will speak the truth, not what people want to hear, because we know they'll feel better, but the truth, what they need. How will we do that? In love, with grace and mercy. And then he goes on to say, growing. That's one of the values here at church, at our church, is growing wherever you are. If you don't know Christ, then just a little bit closer would be growth. And for people that know Christ, that they would continue to grow. Why or for what? In every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the church. He makes the whole body fit together. Christian community, the goal, the expectation we ought to have on our relationships with Christ followers is that we and they are helping us fall more in love with Jesus Christ. Because growing more and more like Jesus is the first calling of every believer. We cannot grow indiv- we can grow individually. John was here last week talking about the disciplines that we must do, like reading your Bible, praying, and um, resting was the other one. You will grow, but you will never be the person that God wants you to be without having Christian community around you. I've never met a, a Christ follower who is growing that said, I did this all by myself. Can you believe it? And it was me and God. It, it never. Matter of fact, I end up sitting with people who have taken that approach. The quadrant two, where it's me and God, no people. Because the prescription for life is love God, love others. You take away the others. You're not living fully. And so I end up sitting there and talking through having them lean into community with others. But yet, we don't do this naturally, and I include myself in this. We struggle with this. It's got to be more than just big church here because we can be anonymous in this space, right? We can go from here and be gone, and nobody will even know. We have to lean in, but we struggle. So did the early church. In Hebrews, we read, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is near. Commentators have different interpretations. Some say, well, this was public assembly. Others say it was private assembly. It doesn't matter. Christ challenged and called us to be in relationship with one another. He modeled it. He taught them that. The early church, read Acts 2, they got in small groups. They got in large groups. But no matter what, it was face-to-face, loving, celebrating, crying in groups. And we can tell from the scripture that some of them were pulling away 
from that happening. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Do not give up on this thing because God put it in place to grow you. It's something bigger than you. He, he put it in place to help you grow in your understanding of him and to feel fully alive relationally. It's important. It's bigger than you. It involves you bonding with other Christ followers. It was so important that when you read the New Testament, there are 94 what we call one another verses. That when we are in community together, these are things that as Christ followers, we are to be living out in our community and our time together. I've got a slide, just a few of them. We are to accept one another. We are to teach one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to carry one another's burdens. We are to forgive one another. We are to pray for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to honor one another. This is what community, Christian community is to look like because it also just models what Christ did for us. And since humans don't naturally lean into this kind of community, LifePoint, like any other healthy Christ-centered church, created some structure to help us step into this kind of community. It's called small groups. We call them grow groups. Grow groups are where you're going to take your life and get in a group with other people. They're bringing their life, and God's at the center of it. You're going to have fun. You're going to learn. You're going to get to know people. Do we live out these one another verses perfectly? No, because we're human. You're dealing with humans. And we, this side of heaven, we don't do that perfectly. But I tell you what, our leaders sure try to create environments that are like this. We have 489 adults across our three locations in grow groups. And we're saying, wow, that, that's a really big number. It is. But it's only 28%. So there's room for more people to step in the community. I realize that some of, so of the 72%, some of you may have this community. We are not saying we'll drop that and come to a grow group because we want our numbers to go up in grow group. No, not at all. You, all we're saying is you need quadrant one relationships. Grow groups are structures that give you that. If you have that, great. Keep it going. Provide it for others. But if you don't, then you need to get into structured community like that. Your spiritual growth depends on it. Your fulfillment in life relationally depends on it. Don't trust me. Trust God with what he says here. And I want you to hear a few words from some folks that are in a grow group right now. I want you to kind of get a glimpse into what this community has meant to them. And what's neat is these two people that you're going to meet actually knew each other outside of here from an, another community that's not Christian community, but it's okay. That's needed. But I want you to hear what the difference for them. Check out the screen. My name is Brad. I've been going to LifePoint for about 10 years now, almost since the beginning. I've been involved with small groups in one way or the other uh, pretty much the, the entire time I've been going to church here. And the reason that 
we got involved in small groups it was initially to, to meet people in church. And it's a very good way to, to meet people that are part of your smaller community. This latest group was formed when we decided to launch this, the new site in uh, Wake Forest. And uh, I saw there was a group meeting in Wake Forest on the, the Find My Group website. And uh, I contacted the leader of that group. And um, he said, sure, you can come, you're invited. We went to church one Sunday and uh, ran into somebody that I know outside of church. And I was shocked to see him there at church. I mean, I was, I was glad he was there, but I was surprised. And uh, I went up to him and uh, I, I don't know if he was more excited to see me or, or the opposite. Um, but uh, immediately we struck up a conversation. I'm like, hey, you know, we have a men's group. We meet every Tuesday. Uh, I'd love to see you, see you there. And uh, honestly, I didn't think he was gonna come. At the time, Brad asked me, I thought I would go, but then I started second-guessing myself a little bit, and um, I know Brad. Um, our, we have daughters the same age. We've been involved in other programs outside of LifePoint to where I trusted Brad, and uh, what can it hurt just to show up? I think my major concern was the fear of having to open up in front of strangers. Uh, that, was, that was a big concern of mine uh, because I wasn't ready to open up. I think what changed for me is seeing um, this group of guys and none of which are biblical <laughs> scholars. They're all just like me. We all have different walks of life, but we come together once a week and I really liked the group of guys um, and really learned a lot from them, which led me to then open up. And now they'll say I won't shut up. So I think I have changed. Um, recognized there were a lot of areas in my life um, that could have been easier with Christ involved. And coming to Bible study and, and meeting with these group of guys really opened my heart to, re to receive that, and I wanted to come. I didn't feel like I had to come. I wanted to come. Beyond the hour you spend Sunday morning in church, it's doing something uh, with others and learning from them, um, growing with them, Praying with them and crying with them, it's, uh, it's important. God uses people to transform people. Do you have people in your life like that? People that are going to be there to help you and to, to challenge you. Some of you do. Like I said, we're not calling you out of those groups. But if you are in a group that's already so big, then why don't you talk with your leader and the other group members and maybe create some uh, community for others by half the group going and allowing people to step into what you have. But there are others of you that don't have that kind of community. And what I want you to do, do you have them? No. Go to findmygroup.com. Find a group and hit the contact leader and let the leader know 
you're going to visit this week. Does it mean you're signing up for life? No. Take the same principle. Try five. Go try it out. If it doesn't work, find another group. But you need community like this. You may say, yeah, but I don't know the people. If it's important, we make it happen. Think about it. If you want to learn a sport, you want to learn music, you get in the group and you make the relationships work after. If you want to go to a class, you don't say, can you give me the class roster and then I'll determine whether I want to go to the class. This is something we do. Trust God that it'll work out the relationships. I don't have time for three to four times a week. We do not have time to not do this because our spiritual progress depends on it. God does amazing things when he puts people together. Who is cheering for you? Who knows enough to say, how did that meeting go? How did that talk go with your child? I've been praying for you. We need those people because God uses people to transform people. Be intentional about who's around you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, you gave us a prescription for life, is to love you, to have a relationship with your son, and to love others. And I just pray for each one of us here, wherever we are on um, having people in our life, that's that quadrant one, help us to put more people there. And if it's through stepping in the group, give us the courage to do that. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.